This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Yes! Welcome everybody to another summer series episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky. With me, of course, is the fantasy hockey robot, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Hi, everybody. So nice of you to join us in the summer. Almost. Uh, Elon, we've got such a fun episode tonight, and I'm it's because I'm not the only person here with us. There's a silent third guest in the virtual room right now. Yeah, I mean, hopefully he won't stay silent for long because that'll kind of defeat the purpose of an audio podcast. But yes, <laughs> it's deja vu. We did this about six months ago and here we go again. We are joined by the great Dmitry Filipovich from the Hockey PDO cast. You guys already know him because you probably listen to his podcast and he's here and we're going to break down the Western Conference. Welcome to the show, Dmitry. What's going on, guys? Let's do this. Fantasy hockey in the summer. This is for all the real degenerates out there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, you know, the real serious fantasy hockey players, it's a 24-7-365 activity. you got to be on top of it. And I'm really excited for this episode because, like I said, we did this. We talked in September and we went through every single team in the NHL. We went through the Western Conference on our show, Eastern Conference on your show. And we, we all just went back and listened to those episodes. And now we're going to talk about what we got right and what we got wrong. And I got to tell you, some things were pretty spot on and some things were way, way off. And I think it's going to be real fun to make fun of each other about what takes we uh, messed up on. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Let's uh, let's get into it. Do you want to do, should we do four minutes again per team and and uh, go through it that way? Yeah. And maybe this time we'll actually be successful at sticking with it. So sure, let's start with the Anaheim Ducks. And I was listening back. And the first thing I noticed from the listen back is that I was doing a lot of bringing up preseason line combinations, which seemed like at the time an interesting thing to talk about. And I was like, wow, Troy Terry is playing on the top line with Raquel and Getzlaff. I thought that Andre Kasha would be a good sleeper, but maybe it should be Troy Terry since he's on the top line. Uh, and so one lesson that I think we're going to get going through all of this is maybe I shouldn't have been paying too much attention to those line combos. So I think it'll be a good lesson for next preseason because a lot of these things didn't turn out and Troy Terry didn't end up playing on the top line. He got shots here and there, ended up with like 30, 13 points in 33 games. He didn't play most of the season in the league. Uh, but now going into next season, Anaheim is not super deep. So maybe Troy Terry can make an impact. Maybe we were just a year early. Well, it's interesting. I think that's kind of like the you went with it with the glass half empty approach in terms of how we got that Troy Terry call wrong. I'm going to go glass half full. I think I was actually too dismissive of Troy Terry. I feel like you kept, you guys kept bringing him up. And I was like, ah, I don't know. I can't really see Troy Terry making an impact. But he was dominant in the AHL last year. And obviously, it didn't necessarily translate into NHL success for the Ducks. So if anyone was stashing him on their team, they probably wouldn't have gotten anything from it. But just in terms of think, looking ahead and trying to project for next year and what to look forward to, 
Uh, I think Troy Terry is going to be good. Yeah. Okay. I like it. I think he's a good pick. And Dimitri, I'm so excited to right away get the sirens. Yeah. We're going to get it out of the way. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. Hot take. Troy Terry is actually good. There we go. (laughs) And the funny thing is, or Brian, I guess you probably have stuff to say about Troy Terry as well. I forgot (laughs) that you're here too. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah. One, like five minutes without my voice and you forget I exist. Um, Troy Terry, like, was actually really unproductive at the NHL level, right? Like he was just not ready at the lowest shot rates of any Anaheim forward who played at least 300 minutes, the lowest expected goals rates uh, amongst the same group. So yeah, I'm still trying to look for bright spots though. And just maybe he was a year early. Like Dimitri said, he was a point per game player in San Diego in the AHL. And now we just learned today that Dallas Akins is Anaheim's new coach. So his AHL coach moves to the NHL and hopefully uh, they can, work well together another player's name who i'm just going to throw out there now maybe this is like two months early sam carrick was also a point per game player with the gulls uh oh. with dallas akins he's 27 years old now though so he's in a very different place in his development curve but if there was ever a time for him to rise above journeyman maybe he gets a look this year that's that's too deep a cut though yeah. for that review that's like that's the two month preview episode i feel like if when you were saying sam i thought you were gonna say sam Steele, and that would be a reasonable <laughs> name to say for anaheim i don't know why you're saying sam carrick i don't know either it's just i was looking like part of me was like okay well troy terry did well in the ahl who else in yep. san diego did well and so either that's that could be a point against terry that like an ahl uh, an nhl journeyman who hasn't cracked a lineup uh did essentially the same thing as terry and probably won't be any better in the nhl for it but uh, I'm going to say no. Like, I'm going to say Terry still has... I, I don't know why. I'm I'm throwing aside... I'm showing a side of the coin that doesn't even need to be shown. But look at... I mean, there was just a stink in Anaheim last year, right? Like, yeah. even Rickard Raquel, who had been one of the more consistent players in the league and, and getting better steadily each season for like three or four years there, had his worst season. And so... I just think hopefully next year there's going to be a bit of a clean slate with a new coach. They're going to get rid of Corey Perry. They're hopefully going to just kind of go fully embrace this youth movement and it might not result in wins um, for the Anaheim Ducks. But for fantasy players, there might be some kind of hidden gems in, younger, in terms of younger players. Yeah, I agree. And also keep in mind, Andre Kasha, who I mentioned at the top, he got injured and he was like supposed to be a big part of this team and he was doing really well when he did play. He played only 30 games and he got 20 points. He was looking really good. So maybe a full season with Andre Kasha will help the team and also be great. I think Andre Kasha could be a really nice sleeper for this year just like we said he was last year i think we were right he just you know the season got cut short for injury i'm assuming we're above our four minutes so shall we no, go to the we're Arizona? at 350 right now so let's let's do it we're uh let's go to the next team boom okay we'll keep this up the whole time we'll be done this uh, in an hour basically hour <laughs> that's two optimistic or three. yeah <laughs> okay that so math does not sorry brian Brian, you're cutting into our Coyotes time, and we've got a lot to talk about here. Uh, so in that episode, back in September, we were really excited, or I was anyways, about Richard Panic playing with Keller and Stepan. And Dimitri was kind of making fun, like, oh, I didn't expect that we were going to be talking about Richard Panic. And then, but basically, we all agreed, like, hey, if he's playing with Clayton Keller, obviously, he's going to be good, because Clayton Keller is going to be an offensive monster. That's a quote that Dimitri said on the show. And... Thanks. Yeah, and Elon and Brian, both of I, both of us agreed. Uh, we both said like seventy-five points. Keller ended up with only forty-seven points on the year. So, like, what happened there? What did we get wrong? And do well, we think Clayton Keller still has that in him? No, I think you were listening to a wrong track. I was listening to that episode where we called Brad Richardson and Vinny Hanestroza being their two leading scorers, and absolutely <laughs> carrying the, the Arizona Coyotes to a near playoff spot. Oh, yeah, I, I mean. My God, I mean that was such a mess, and it was such a fantasy wasteland there. Like, I, I feel like 
for season long players last year was there a single guy other than darcy kemper who i'm sure we'll talk about because i remember we focused on ranta a bit too like in terms of the skaters there was no one to really glean any fantasy value from last year at least in terms of like consistent like month over month stretch maybe for spot starts here or there yeah this remains a big question for arizona right if you consider like look at their superficial numbers you see that uh, their shots on goal counts and their shot attempts are reasonably middle of the pack. But if you look at their expected goals and try and you know gauge the actual danger level of these pucks they're throwing towards the net in a reasonably average way, uh, dead last in the league in the level of threat of those shots. So Arizona, you know, like, and you wonder, like, it worked for them reasonably well. They got within uh, you know a stone's throw of a playoff spot, and so I would really hope that someone like Clayton Keller has the chance to really shred his stuff. And Alex Galchenyuk for that matter too. But I think that's why we ended up being wrong was one, because they, uh, they, they were very happy with perimeter shooting last season and the others that they were really a defense first team. Yeah. Like uh, then also next on the show, we talked about a potential offensive threat in Dylan Strom. And we both talked about how, yeah, maybe this guy has upside. Brian actually suggested, Brian, this is a feather in your cap. You said maybe he's not going to do well on Arizona, but you could see him getting a new lease on life mm. with a new team one day. Well, he got six points in 20 games with the Coyotes. Then he got traded to Chicago, 51 points in 58 games. So I guess we'll bring him up when we get to the Blackhawks. But yeah, I bet you Arizona would be happy to have, though actually Nick Schmaltz was doing really well. So yeah. yep. it'll be fun to see what he could do. If Again, another player just like Kasha, like he was doing well and they got injured. So what can you really say? And I guess let's end by talking about the goaltending here because we had a big, long discussion about Auntie Ranta and if he's going to be this like fantasy darling. Everyone was so excited about him because he did so well the previous year. Unfortunately, he got injured. So it's injury talk here at the top. But then Darcy Kemper just came in and was so amazing. So now it's like, what's the big... I don't think we got anything right or wrong here, but I think right. the big question is, what, Dimitri, what do you think for next year? Is it Ranta's net? Or now does Darcy Kemper have an equal shot? It's just a matter of who plays better in training camp. I mean, I don't know. I don't see how you could fully trust Ronda. Like, I think when he's going to be out there, I think he's going to be productive for you. But it's similar to what we were talking about last year. We've never seen him do it for a full season. He's never, I don't think he's ever played 50 games at the NHL level and in a single season. So how can you go at this point of his career expecting that he's going to give you that? And if you're the Coyotes and we see all these teams that have had success going with a 1A, 1B kind of 50-50 split, for them, they're probably perfectly happy with going at least giving Darcy Kemper 35 40 starts next year assuming he can do anything close to what he did this year so it's kind of a bit of a fantasy wasteland in that in that regard but I think both guys could have value because it is a very defensively stingy team yeah you look at their better defensive performance and like they were really giving up a lot of high level danger shots three seasons ago and then they stepped it up two seasons ago to decrease that uh and last season was their best year in, in recent memory uh thanks to a full year of Nicholas Jalmarsson, uh, another year older uh, from Jordan, uh, Jacob Shikrin, and then Ilya Lubyushkin, if yeah. I'm pronouncing that at all right. Uh, looks like he did some of the lifting too. So I like whoever's playing goalie for Arizona. Elon, that's as much of an endorsement of Kemper you're going to get from me. Yeah. Well, I, I would say maybe they're going to end up being like a New York Islanders. Like that's best case scenario potentially. Like if you would have drafted both Grice and Leonard last season for fantasy, you would have been really happy. And so maybe it could be something like that over in Arizona. I'm, I'm more excited this year about looking at potential tandems that you could get late in a draft. And then maybe someone gets injured and you end up having a starter or maybe you have a good tandem or just maybe someone earns the job and then you could just drop the other guy. But okay. Is that our Arizona time? Yep. 
Okay, let's go to the Calgary Flames. We spent a lot of time at the start of the last episode that when we talked about them, uh, hyping up Elias Lindholm because he was playing on the top line in a game in China. Calgary had just finished that game in China, I think against Anaheim, right? Was it? Anyway. No, it was the Bruins because uh, you were all in on Jake DeBrus because he had two goals in that game. Oh, right. <laughs> yes, I was very excited about this one game. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, Brian was throwing cold water all over Lindholm saying we've been waiting for him to break out forever and he never has. And this is like a story we've told like time and time again. This is like the history of keeping Carlson at this point is just talking about Elias Lindholm because he had this great season, 70 po- 78 points overall, but only nine in his final 19 really stunk it up at the end and didn't do that much in the playoffs. So now I guess going into next year, we have the same question. Like this time though, at least there's not the question of whether it's going to be Lindholm or James Neal playing on the top line because Dimitri, you were super high on James Neal. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, that- can we scrub that from the internet? <laughs> yeah, he ended up with 19 points in 63 games. You expected like 25, 30 goals. Yeah. So uh, next year... What do you think about Elias Lindholm? Let's not even talk about James Neal. He might get bought out or traded or something. But yep. do you think Lindholm's going to be able to be like the superstar guy he was for the first three quarters of the year? Or do you think it's more like the last quarter or maybe something in between? I think you got to temper your expectations a little bit because obviously during that hot start of his, a lot of it was shooting percentage driven. And throughout his career early on uh, for the Hurricanes, there was something weird going on where he was such a below average shooter and everyone on that team was for Carolina that I don't think it was necessarily an indictment of his own individual skill. I think he's obviously better than he showed. And last year he was scorching hot and I don't think you can, the truth probably is somewhere in the middle there, but if he's going to play with Johnny Goodrow all season, uh, he's going to get glorious scoring chances every night out and he's going to convert them more often than not. And so I think it's a reasonable expectation to expect something around 25 to 30 goals with hovering around 70 points. If he's going to play, Play riding shotgun with Goodrow and Monaghan. It's a it's one of the cushiest gigs in the league, really. I'm in I'm in about the same spot. I think I'd I'd still land at 70 points and maybe give him about 20 25 goals instead of 25 30. Right. Uh, but one reason that he's still going to get 70 is because is power play time. Right. He had 26 power play points last year compared to nine the year before. Even though the year before he was like on the top unit for a bunch of it too. Um, so great for Elias Lindholm to finally uh, entrench himself on one of the more dangerous top units in the league. And he also, by the way, made some use of his shorthanded time, four points on the penalty kill as well. Uh, he spends a lot of time there. He gets a 46% share of Calgary's penalty kill minutes. So uh, if he can repeat that, um, that would be pretty great. He actually had five shorthanded points a couple season or seasons earlier. So I, I don't know yet if this is a repeatable skill from Elias Lindholm or if this is just a, a couple weird quirks. I mean, yeah, it happens, right? A player who plays a lot shorthanded has a better chance of getting shorthanded points. Like Brad Marchand does it every single year, right? Uh, I think we still have some Calgary time on that. Yeah, we had a minute. Yep. All right, great. So on that episode, we talked about the defense. I kind of want to scrub this as well. Not that we really got anything too wrong because we were talking about how TJ Brody was still on the top power play and we were like sort of tearing our hair out being like, Ugh, why is Brody always on the top power play? And we all said we're not really into him. So we were right about that. But we, none of us actually went out and predicted this monster Mark Giordano season, right? Like none of us said, I think this guy's going to get 70 plus points. He ended up with 74 and 78 games. Uh, I'm really interested in him for next year, especially your multi-category leagues with your hits and your blocks. Like Giordano just does it all now. So my question is, who did we think? Like, we all agreed that Brody, like, shouldn't be on the top power play. Like, I think we what, all, what was I think, the question? I think we all implicitly assumed it was going to be Giordano, just none of us actually went out and said he's going to be amazing. Right. Yeah, I was kind of worried just because the age and, and we has a, he has yeah. a littered uh, injury history, but he had an amazing season. He's going to win the Norris and... I think this Flames team is going to have a high-octane offense again next year. So I, I could easily see him walking into another monster offensive season. Alex in the chat is asking, is Hannafin going to be fantasy relevant ever? I don't know. It doesn't seem like it. 
Yeah, I, like, I don't. I, I just don't think he's gonna ever play enough, really, to to be that dominant offensively, right? The weird part, by the way, like uh, to me too. You mentioned Giordano's injury history. The very strange part is that, like, he's been a near iron. Like, he had that reputation, and deservedly so, because he missed twenty games for three out of four seasons. And the season yeah. he didn't miss any games was the lockout shortened one. Uh, going into this season, he'd missed one game in the last three years, and this season he only missed four. So I wonder if somehow he's shaking that reputation. Like, can can a thirty two year old player shake? The reputation of being a Band-Aid boy. I don't know. I mean, Mark. Wait, Mark Giordano's turning thirty-six in October. Yeah. So I just, I just, I just don't see it. I mean, I, I hopefully he plays eighty-two games. I love the player, and and I want to see him have that success, but I just don't see it. Yeah. So maybe he gets dropped down a a, a round in fantasy drafts yeah. because you're worried about injuries. But I still uh, like him just because that, like, like you said about Elias Lindholm, if you're playing with Goudreau, or like, you know, on the top power play in Monaghan, like it's going to be a great opportunity to keep getting points. Okay, we got to move on to Chicago. Uh, here's another whiff because we were excited about Brandon Saad playing with Patrick Kane in the preseason. And Demetri was thinking he expects Saad to bounce back over. At the, pre- the season before, Saad had a terrible year. He had like 30 yeah. something points. And we all were saying, or at least I don't know if I was saying, but Brian and Dimitri were definitely saying that they thought that Brandon Saad is a good buy low candidate. We're hoping for more power play points. We're hoping for more even strength points. He was playing with Patrick Kane. Brian actually said, you won't be able to draft Brandon Saad as low next year as you will be able to this year. Uh, I don't know if that's mm. the case, but it actually wasn't that bad. Right? He had 47 points. So it's not as if it was a disaster season, but not this like huge, you know, 55 plus point bounce back. Yeah. And the thing was, I, I believe at one point he was getting like healthy scratch somewhere at some point in mid midseason. So he bounced back a little yeah. bit from that. And I think he played predominantly with Taves as opposed to Kane and Taves himself had an awesome uh, offensive season, but clearly isn't the type of guy who can sort of carry his line mates uh, from that regards as much as Kane can, at least. So I don't know. I love Brandon Saad as a player. I love watching him play. It seems like every time he's out there, he's creating chances or doing something productive on the ice. But it's been long enough in fantasy now that it, I, I, this just might be the new norm for him. Yeah, really sad season for Brandon Saad. This is a big whoops on my part. Him playing on the top line lasted for like four games. And then he played a bunch of the season with Jonathan Taves. And then he finished the season playing with like Dylan Sikora and Artem Anisimov, which is not a place to put up production. Um, so yeah, he spent the better half of the final part of the season in the bottom six. And also for Saad, it wasn't just his, his five on five team time that didn't go right. Uh, his power play time peaked at like the 15, 20 game mark of the season. And you know what? He didn't deserve any better than he got. I can't blame the coaching staff for not wanting him there. And th- Dimitri, you alluded to, there were these healthy scratch situations. Like there was a lot of ink spilled in Chicago this year about Brandon Saad not being motivated or not fitting the mold of what they wanted a Chicago player to be like. And I don't know if he can come back from that next year, right? He's got the same coach uh, who didn't trust him with top six minutes coming back again. That coach had some success, uh, like looking at how the Blackhawks actually challenged for a playoff spot. So uh, I think you can get Brandon Saad lower this year than you could last year but you sh- you shouldn't want him yeah i think still a guy that's going to be in free agency and maybe you'll look yep. at him if he gets a ch- chance in the top six because not yeah. someone to rush for but here's what i'll say i mean i think we both ex- all of us expect the blackhawks next year will probably be just as bad defensively as they were this year i mean i don't think Oli mata bringing him in is going to make all the difference for them and so i think they're going to get into a lot of those back and forth shootout seven six type of affairs they did last year and hopefully um guys like sod can get more of that love i mean it's it's wild the guys like brendan perlini and stuff were having these monster scoring outbursts in those games and sod just unfortunately wasn't one of them 
And regarding the defense, right, we still have Corey Crawford, who is healthy, I guess, but like, who knows? Like, hard at this point to expect him to play a full season. It's Cam Cam Ward's not still there, right? I hope I hope not. But maybe like Colin Delia will be a good guy to look at for next year. Maybe uh, the next <laughs> Jordan Bennington, or is it, maybe I'm going too far here. But like, I think Delia is someone that should be on your radar. Just because I will see what's what the news is on Crawford in training camp. I think he'll be someone to watch for sure. By the way, on the podcast, I'll just mention in that episode, I was saying that I think Debrinkit will be. Better better than sad and then dimitri you like shot me down i was like elon that's not even a hot take come on <laughs> so i can't take credit for that wait one. wait oh, so does that does that mean that i was agreeing with you that the was gonna be better or? yeah you were like saying of course okay, 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 will okay, be better. Okay. Yeah. yeah yeah of course yeah oh and then he lived up to the hype he had a monster season I, I don't know about delia just because maybe if you're playing in one of those leagues where like you get credit for actual raw to- total volume of saves maybe i think he's gonna be facing a lot of work as long as he's in there but i think that team is so bad defensively they're easily a bottom three team in that regard that i just I just can't see the the actual, you know, especially like the counting goals against stats and stuff like that being good enough to roster all year. Yeah, I see it though. He did. He was okay last year. Nine oh eight save percentage. Yeah. Not like not world beating, but pretty functional. Good. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't mention Gustafsson. Unfortunately, we had a big debate about Duncan Keith oh, and whether he could bounce back. And uh, you know, Brian was really pushing for Keith greater than forty five points. He wasn't too far off. Like Dimitri, you said like closer to thirty five forty, and you were right. He ended up with forty points, so not terrible. Not as high the high heights that Brian was expecting, but definitely not the high heights of Eric Gustafsson, who hit sixty points. I don't think we even mentioned his name. Yeah, no, he was a monster. Anyone that uh, anyone that probably either got him super late in drafts or even in some leagues, maybe that weren't paying attention on waivers, must have been loving life last year. No, agreed. Uh, and and I'm over Duncan Keith. Like, I still think there's room. For, like, I'm not going to say Duncan Keith is going to be the guy. Uh, well, actually, there's probably not room. We, we talked about this on our last episode with Gustafsson. And then Yoki Haru is there, you know, as another option. Yep. Should the Blackhawks want to try and try someone other than Gustafsson? But you've got to think Keith is too far down uh, the the depth chart to have, have a chance at making an impact with on the power play. Yeah, plus they also have... What's that guy's name again? The guy who they drafted a couple years ago? They have Boquist, but they might even draft Byram third overall, potentially. So yeah, Yeah. that's that's more down the road. Okay, let's go to to the next team. Okay, so next we've got the Colorado Avalanche. uh, And we spent the start of the podcast trying to predict who's like the fourth best forward to own. We were all saying like, of course, McKinnon, Ranson, and Landis Cogger can be great. They were saying, who else would you want as a forward on Colorado? Dimitri, you ended up saying Tyson Jost. Uh, There's also some talking of Kamenev. Uh, could any of you guess who ended up being the fourth best avalanche? Oh, Soderberg, right? Yeah, yeah. Soderberg. 49 points. So I don't even know if he was really worth drafting. Probably the, the correct answer was just like, don't worry about it. I think we pretty much said that. So I, th- I think we pretty much nailed the forwards on Colorado. That was probably the easiest team to predict, though. It's that top line and then or completely bust. Great team to have a streamer from, though, right? Like you had guys like Kerfoot and Comfort occasionally producing and, you know, a couple injuries on the top line helped give those guys some value every so often. But I still think uh, the case remains that you don't want anybody beyond the top three forwards in Colorado. Kamenev, who I remember being like, oh, yeah, like he seemed like a really great hockey hipster pick (laughs) going into last season, uh, never really got a shot. He He averaged less than 10 minutes over the 23 games he played. Then he had season ending surgery on his shoulder. But like, that's not even an excuse because his time on ice and line mate deployment was never really trending up. So you have to think the Avalanche want to find some secondary scoring though, and they'll look within their lineup. And I hope he gets another look in training camp. Um, So he's still on my radar going into the season, but you know, when, once you've had one shot to impress me as a no name, it's not as cool to pick you again. Yeah, when I think we saw last year towards the end of the year, Jared Bednar um, 
realized that he needed secondary scoring. And so he really tried to split up those three guys and he was playing Kerfoot. And I think Derek Broussard for a while with McKinnon quite a bit. So there's certainly whoever's going to be playing with McKinnon is going to have fantasy value. And I think it might just be more of a sort of streamer type of deal, or if you play DFS as opposed to targeting someone in the draft, but I don't know. Tyson Joe's at this point hasn't shown at the NHL level. It might just never happen. There's going to have to be someone else that steps up, right? Like, I think we all like this Colorado team. They're so fun to watch. They play such a fun, exciting pace. Maybe it'll be someone they draft this year at fourth overall. We'll see who that is. But there's got to be someone that steps up because this team is too good to be just relying on three guys. And we could see some offseason movement, right? They have uh, projected $37 looking at cap-friendly in cap space. And believe it or not, they have only six forwards under contract. They've got a couple RFAs, a couple UFAs. But there's a lot of blank spaces in their depth chart behind McKinnon, Landeskog, Soderberg, and then Matt Calvert, Matt Nieto, and Tyson Jost is still on his ELC. So, So we'll see. Like, this is a team that could look really different come September. Wow. And like, so you're saying they have all this money, plus they have two first round picks. They can make, maybe make a trade for someone. So yeah, Colorado could really make a splash this summer. They could be an interesting team to watch. Uh, do we have any time left to talk about the goalies? Yeah, we got a minute. Okay. Yeah. So maybe I should have had the timer. So I don't <laughs> Why don't you have the timer? <laughs> uh, Dimitri, you got to give me the, the one minute warning. I like this. I like this game where Elon just guessing how much time we got him. Okay, so uh, we discussed Varlamov versus Grubauer, and I think I was a bit off because I was saying I think Varlamov's underrated. Like, everyone was sort of saying Grubauer, and I was like, well, maybe Varlamov will be good. And at first, I was kind of right. Like, Varlamov did actually get the majority of the starts on the season. He played 49 games. Grubauer only played 37. But by the end of the season, Grubauer, like, clearly established himself. Now Varley's going to be gone as a free agent. Colorado signed Pavel Fransuz, uh, so I think he's going to probably be the backup next year. And, like, I guess the big question now is, like, how good is Philip Grubauer? He was so great at the end of the season. He was so great in the playoffs. Now he is like the undisputed number one goalie on this team. You don't have to worry about him splitting starts. Like, I feel like he could be one of the top goalies to own in fantasy. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, this is going to be a really good team. They're going to win a lot of games. And I think maybe he won't be as good as he was when he was absolutely on fire down the stretch, but he's had a long enough track record now in the NHL where I I believe at least he'll be like above league average and on a great team that's going to have a lot of value. Yeah, his offense is going to do a lot of the work for him. So I think the wins will be there. The question is, can the defense step up and help him out? Uh, like you've got Eric Johnson, great, Tyson Barry, and then it sort of falls off defensive-wise. Like there's no real guys that you can count on to take on the heavy minutes. So uh, you've got some offensive flair for sure, but uh, offense is not going to be Colorado's problem next well, year. So I- it won't matter when Kale McCarr and, and uh, Sam Gerrard just have the puck in the offensive zone for 90 seconds at a time. Yeah, Makar and Gerard right. could end up that's being the, That's the Eric Carlson defense. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh, Brian, hot take, and then we'll just move on. I won't even give you guys time to respond, but I think okay. I'd rather have Grubauer than Jordan Binnington in fantasy next year. Just drop it. Just drop in the bomb. That's okay. not a hot take. I buy that. I'll bet you that Binnington will be drafted higher next year. Yeah, he will for sure. Oh, he's on. Yeah, okay. Uh, next team. Uh, so another one of the classic uh, Dimitri telling me my take isn't hot, so I won't be able to brag about it <laughs> next year when we do this. Okay, uh, Dallas, uh, this will be a short one. This is where we can make up some of the time that we've lost. So we talked a yeah. bit about Nichushkin and Spezza and how it looked like they were going to be playing with Radulov on the second line. And so like, oh, maybe these guys will be able to bounce back. Nichushkin, remember, had been out of the NHL and he was like coming back and we had some hype about him. We also that we thought these could be value guys to grab. The end of the year, Nichushkin, uh, 10 points in 57 games. Uh, Spezza, 27 points in 76 games. So just two big nobodies. And we're pretty much the same situation again this year, I feel like, in Dallas. You've got your big three, and then maybe they'll re-sign Zuccarello or get somebody. But aside from that, there's like really kind of a wasteland for forwards. 
I'm genuinely impressed. It's one of those things where like I was disappointed in Nichushkin, and then when a guy goes that many games without a single goal or penalty minute, I'm just like, okay, this is like now I just have to marvel at the excellence of this guy, just absolutely submarining any love he was getting from us. Here's the name I'll give you: Rupe Hints. I'm all in. He was so good down the stretch, and he was so good in the playoffs. And I think they don't want to play Sagan, Ben, and Radulov together. If they re-sign Zuccarello, that's great. Then they can really go with that balanced top six approach. But whatever they do, I bet you Rupe Hintz is so good defensively and has enough talent offensively that his coaches are going to love him. Jim Montgomery is going to give him as many minutes as he can handle. And I think that's going to lead to fantasy success. Rupe Hintz, the, the only thing that makes me a little nervous is that we've seen this movie in Dallas before with Valerie Nichushkin, right? Mm-hmm. We saw a really exciting upstart come almost out of nowhere and not just put up the points, but have some highlight real moments in there only to disappear. Now I'm not going to penalize Hints just because he's wearing the same jersey as Nishushkin was. Like I, I, I also believe in Rupe Hints, but I just have that image in the back of my mind. Uh, Jason Spezza, by the way, what a bummer of a season, Elon. You sort of just gave him a passing mention. Remember, like in the first 13 games, it felt really good to have called Jason Spezza. He had 10 points in that early stretch, and it looks kind of sustainable. But then he had just 17 points in his next 63. And I remember we were counting on Jim Montgomery being the new coach, being more open to giving Spezza a bigger, better role than he had with Lindy Ruff and Ken Hitchcock. Uh, but he had uh, the same 13 minutes a game and just a titch more power play time, which he did didn't even make the most of so it's it's hard to imagine jason spezza like i i want to believe there's still a, a situation somewhere he's a ufa now that he can be like a veteran uh middle six center and have a more relevant season than he did last year but i don't know if that's just you know having watched him in ottawa for so long and just rooting for the guy yeah, I mean, maybe he'll be a decent NHLer, maybe, but definitely forget about him for a fantasy. And as far as Rupe Hints goes, yeah, I'm with you, Dimitri. Like, I'm happy to go for him, but I don't know if I'd reach too far for yeah. him. Just because we've also seen, you know, like Blake Como, Brett Ritchie, like Matias Yanmark, like all these people look like they're going to be on the top line. And like, what a sweet spot for them. And then they never last. But maybe Rupe Hints will uh, be the one who changes the trend. I think Hints is different in that, like the guys you mentioned were sort of journeymen, right? Who never really, uh, like who had had chances already. This is Ruby Hints' first look in the NHL and it looked that good. Sorry, Dimitri, you were going to say? No, I think I I agree. That's exactly what I was going to say. I think the offensive upside's there. I don't, I wouldn't reach too much for him just because I don't think he's necessarily this kind of like prolific game changing talent. That's going to just tear up the score sheet and, and carry the offense himself. But I just think he's such a good, well-rounded player that, at worst, he's not going to get bumped below like the second line because Jim Montgomery is going to want to have him out there. And if they split the lines up and that means playing with Radulov or Zuccarello or whoever, um, there's oh, plenty of fantasy goodness to go around. Did we talk at all about Heiskanen in that? Uh, last not, that I, preview? not that I recall. Uh, do you want to say anything about him now? Well, I, I mean, I, I think everyone, obviously, he came with a lot of hype. There was that rumor that they turned down an Eric Carlson trade because they didn't want to include Heiskin in the deal. And I was skeptical because with young NHL defensemen, you never know how long it's going to take for them to adapt and really assert themselves. But just watching him, especially in the postseason, I mean, he is so freaking good. And Jim Montgomery was so creative with getting him and Klingberg out there for as many five-on-five offensive draws as they could together. And so, man, I, I think the I, I like the stars from a fantasy perspective because – you know exactly who you need from that team and who what you're going to get from them. And you don't really have to worry about any of the other super, uh, kind of tertiary and secondary stuff. But those top guys are going to be so good that people are going to be tuning in and drafting them. 
Yeah, I'm in on high skin. I feel like there's a very good analogy to be made with Colorado. They have Barry and then Cal McCarr coming up. And then like Dallas has Klingberg and Heisken. And like you think Klingberg and Barry are going to hold their top power play spots. But there's these really good young guys that could push them for that spot. Make maybe a little bit more scary to draft. But it'll be fun to watch and see. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Edmonton Oilers. Uh, I guess everyone who can remember what happened last offseason probably remembers what we discussed. And it was this whole like McDavid, Ryan Eugene Hopkins, Ty Ratty top line that had ended the previous season. They were really good. And it was looking like they were going to play together in the preseason. We were all excited about like also uh, Connor McDavid had had a quote saying to reporters that he just wanted some consistent line mates. And so I was like, oh, yeah, it's finally going to happen. And, you know, part right, like I, I said, Ryan Neutral Hopkins will get 70 points. He ended up getting 69. I'll count that as a win. But Ty nice. Ratty en- ended up being a nobody. Uh, Dimitri was saying he wishes Pugliarvi could be on the top line. Uh, we talked about Pugliarvi and Lucic and Yamamoto. In the end, like, kind of everyone sucked. And now we go into next season. And once again, like, who else? Dimitri, like, who would be your favorite Oiler to own? Or who do you think is going to come fourth in Oiler forward scoring after the big top three? Well, we got it wrong, but like, like Alex Chasson, for example, what he had like 20 goals in some a short period of time. They were just playing and just, especially on the power play, just basically teeing off on all the attention McDavid was drawing. So that's why people are going to be interested and people are going to be speculating. We'll see. I mean, I think towards the end of the year, there was a lot of like Zach Cassie in there. I, I forget if he was playing with McDavid or Dre Seidel a bit more, but he was also chipping in offensively unlike we'd really seen from him in, in years. So I don't know who it's going to be. I like, we will still see in free agency with Ken Holland there. Um, I imagine they're going to try to do something new and shake things up and bring someone in. I don't think it's going to be a big name, but um, they could use some fresh blood because I don't think any of these guys that they have in there right now, especially certainly not the Lucic types, are going to be good enough to capitalize on the that cushy scoring spot. So I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, Cassian got to play with both McDavid and Drysaddle. Oh, there we which go. Is, yeah, yeah, which is why he was as good as he was. And you put in, like, it doesn't even matter, right? You put your your 12th forward on that line and they're going to get some produ- production. And if you're going to combine McDavid on, and Drysaddle on the same line, I feel like that should essentially be your strategy. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, as we talked about before last season, is great. He's is the third best forward on the team, but having him there is not a huge gain necessarily because anyone can do it. Zach Cassian can do it. Um, so uh, like, I, I still want to think that the answer is in Yamamoto or Pugliarvi, but I also know that it, it might like it all. Here we are again, going into a new season where we just wonder if Edmonton has learned from any of their past mistakes, if their new coach is going to really understand exactly how to take care of business and how to find the right lineup configuration, what their management is going to do. If we can trust them to actually put out two solid lines of production, um, I'm still not there yet. So like, I would like to believe that they'll give the right chance to the right young players uh, or maybe make a good signing in the off season. But yeah, my, my faith, I need to see something now. Like I can't have blind faith that they're going to do the right thing with any guy. Well, it's amazing that I, I agree with you completely. Like literally anyone, you could put them there and it succeed, which makes it so amazing that Milan Lucic is apparently the one person who could <laughs> not absolutely succeed no matter what. So it just speaks to uh, how much he's he's fallen off. But I don't know. And I guess a name to watch for next season is, is I like Tyler Benson. I don't know if he's going to necessarily come up to the Oilers or how they're going to deploy him, but he was one of the better young players in the AHL this season. So we'll see if that translates. They clearly have openings and clearly need someone who can create their own offense beyond just dry saddle and David. Yeah, if anyone's looking to Bakersfield to try and try and find the next guy, uh, Cooper Marity 
Also there, 64 points in 58 games. Uh, Joseph Gambardella, but he's a center. Uh, so is Marity. But who knows where any, like, move anyone to the wing, right? Yeah. But, but are you guys, like, totally giving up now on Yamamoto and Pugliarvi? They're still young. Like, and Brian, you were saying, like, oh, you don't trust the Oilers, like, management to, like, play them properly. But, like, maybe they're just not as good or maybe they are. Like, I just, What's your take? Are we still holding out any hope for either of these guys or are we done with them? I am. I like I still hope it's going to work, but it has to work in clearly what like it hasn't been the right environment for them. They weren't I, I don't think the development boat has been missed entirely on either one. Uh you've got Yamamoto who's still twenty, and you've got Pugliarvi who's still even younger than that. He's uh oh no, sorry, he's the older. He's twenty one. So between them, there's still an effort there's still room to navigate uh, any errors that have been made and rights and wrongs, but but we're running out of road here. Well, I'm not giving up on Pugliarvi's talent, but I don't know if it's going to happen in an Oilers uniform. I think he's kind of made it clear that he wants a fresh start. And he wants to go somewhere else. And maybe a new coach and a new GM is going to help convince him to give Edmonton another shot. But I don't know. At this point, it's just not happening for him with Oilers. Yeah, and Yamamoto, I guess he hasn't really been given a shot yet. So we'll see what Yamamoto does this year. Maybe Pugliarvi is looking at Dylan Strom as a role model and he's waiting for something similar to happen for him. Okay, LA Kings. Uh, so I started the LA, LA Kings section uh, at the start of the season talking about this beautiful Kovalchuk goal in the preseason. I was like, did you guys see that Kovalchuk goal? And then uh, that didn't work out. So I'll just say right away, Kovalchuk, I was high on him and he let me down 34 points in 64 games. I'm assuming we're like done with him. He was still on the top power play for a lot of the season. Uh, Kopitar, Brown, Carter, Kovalchuk, Dowdy. We were expecting that to be the power play and we thought it was going to be a lethal. I think Dimitri, you said a lethal looking top power play. Oh, uh, God. So really didn't work out in LA and uh yeah so Kovalchuk was the big whiff and going into next year are we expecting like kind of more of the same or do you see any reason for optimism for any of these guys who had down years like Carter Kopitar like everyone disappointed us I think Kopitar is still a a great player and I think he's gonna get his I don't know what his fantasy ceiling is but I I would have no issues with drafting him I think this team was just such an abomination last year. I hated watching them. They played so slow, so many overpriced uh, aging veterans. The one guy that I did like towards the end, especially after the trade, and then he came up and I had a brief like 10-game cameo or so was Carl Grundstrom. And I forget how many goals he scored or whatever, but he, I, I felt like he had his moments and it just stuck out so much just watching him because it was like all these old overpriced guys and then this like young guy who was able to generate stuff and score goals. And I was like, all right, I I, I kind of finally like see a, like a shining light here. So hopefully we'll get a bit more Carl Grundstrom in the top six whether it's with Kopitar or whether it's Adrian Kempe and Tyler Toffoli or whoever else yeah that'll yeah, be Grun- interesting go ahead Brian Grunstrom had I'll fill in the blanks for you Grunstrom had five goals and an assist uh, for six points in 15 games of mm. course you know he started out with lower ice time and different yeah. deployment um uh, he 26 shots over those 15 games so uh like you, we can't judge him yeah. based off of this at all um I'm kind of excited. I mentioned this on our last patron cast for Jeff Carter to, to try and get back at it. I I haven't lost faith that he can still be a 60 point player, um, especially like Tyler Toffoli still there, who is not going to be as good as I ever hoped he would. But I still think that there's enough there for there to be a productive four, four productive forwards between Kopitar, Brown, Carter and Toffoli. I think they'll all see bounce backs commensurate to what we would have expected from them last year. Wow. Um, I, I don't know what Kovalchuk offers though. Like it, it's hard to imagine, like, are we going to see another Ilya Kovalchuk retirement if LA cannot move his contract in time for the start of the year? 
I love how Brian, you're just like, Jeff Carter will be totally fine. Kovalchuk, though, forget about him. Also, I feel like, is this a rerun? Well, no, Kovalchuk, there was, like, it wasn't working in LA, right? Like, he really, there was a lot of being disgruntled and sure. anger towards the organization by the end of his, by the end of the season. Was it working for Jeff Carter uh, towards the end of the so. season? All right. Anyway, uh, so we'll see. Like, I feel like we're, we're getting a bit of a rerun of the Duncan Keith talk all of a sudden now with all these old guys that Brian loves. Uh, we also talked about the <laughs> goaltending because uh, Jonathan Quick had had such a great year the previous season. And Brian and I had been debating before we got to Dimitri who he asked to break the tie because I was saying I thought he could be good. Brian said he doesn't think so. And uh, like Brian, though, still said he th- thought Quick could be like a, in the teens, nine teens of save percentage. So we were all not even able to predict mm. how bad he would be because he ended up with an 888 save percentage. Meanwhile, Jack Campbell in the games he played was really good. Cal Peterson for the few games he played was really good. I wonder like at this point, are we kind of done with Jonathan Quick? Like, are we looking at a potential Binnington situation here where one of Campbell or Peterson takes over by the time we're all said and done? I mean, they're probably better at this point, but I don't know if this team even has any intentions of really being competitive or winning next season. So, and based on what quick means that franchise and how much he's being paid, I'm I'm not sure if we're going to see that type of a situation where they just completely hand over the keys, but you're right. I mean, it's a pretty big indictment on quick and I know he had injuries, but when you put Campbell in there behind that same defense and Cal Peterson as well, both guys had smaller, especially Peterson had a smaller sample size, but they looked so much better than quick that you really have to wonder how much of it was everything around them and how much it was just the goalie themselves if we want to try and give quick a little bit of credit which is not generally what i try and do but if 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 i did i'd mention that quick had uh probably the worst protection uh from the team in front of him uh between himself campbell and peterson um but like not nearly uh to the extent that what he did could be excused last season. Like he faced the hardest workload of his career and he totally withered beneath it. Uh, You couldn't count on him for a quality start, just barely passing the 40% mark in quality starts. Um, I expect the Kings are going to improve on last season. Um, So I kind of have a little bit of interest in their goalie, just as like a late round steal or a spot start early on in the season. Like I I don't expect big things from them, but I expect if Jonathan quick does get the reins again, I think he'll be better than he was last year. Yeah. I could see him being better, but I could also see him getting bumped. So I feel like I would be not interested in Jonathan Quick unless I could get him really late, like you're saying, like last round or second last round, and then maybe also grab Jack Campbell out of free agency when he's going on a run. Uh, Okay, Minnesota Wild, we were all high on Jason Zucker. Uh, He had a really nice breakout season the year before, and we thought he could continue to be a 60-point guy. We all agreed we were all wrong. He only had 42 points in Mm. 81 games. So that's someone we have to talk about. Do we still like Jason Zucker? Because, you know, Minnesota wasn't scoring as many goals last year as maybe we hoped they would. So maybe they can improve next year. They have now Grandlin in the picture. Like, I don't know. They have some... Oh, no, Grandlin's out of the picture. They have Kevin Fiala in the picture. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, any reason to be excited about Jason Zucker again? Well, there is, because there's no way he's going to be playing in a Minnesota Wild uniform next season. I mean, you you know what? They almost traded him to Calgary at the deadline they almost traded him to Pittsburgh this summer already like at this point it's pretty clear he's going to go somewhere else and I think wherever he goes I assume that team's going to be going out of their way to acquire him which means they really value him and they're going to put him in a position to succeed and so I think the talent is still there there's no reason to believe he would have completely dropped off physically physically with at this point of his career so I like Zucker a lot this Minnesota team is one of the most confusing teams to me because they the talent is there maybe it's not as abundant as it was in years past but just based on how they're being run by paul fenton and what they're doing and what trades are potentially going to make this summer like i who knows what this team's going to look like but i can't imagine it's going to be very encouraging just on the trajectory they're on 
Yeah, that Minnesota is trying to trade Jason Zucker is probably like a tick if, like in the box for, yeah, we should still believe in him. Uh, look, his five-on-five five shooting percentage and his on-ice shooting percentage just cratered last season. And uh, against our expectations, his power play role was stagnant. He had a very similar share of his team's power play minutes and uh, did not get to do any more uh, with them than he did in the previous season. Uh, he did about the same, but it was at even strength where he really struggled in an unsustainable way though. So I'm still a believer that he can get 60 points and maybe he's going to find his way into a situation that's much better than the one in Minnesota. Uh, look at, you know, Niederreiter, right? There's a talented player. Didn't look good in a wild Jersey, got traded, uh, flew. And uh, I, I think Jason Zucker is waiting for a similar moment where he can be set free. Yeah, I mean, he's hoping for a Sebastian Ajo like landing spot. I don't know. I don't know if he'll get that. But maybe he could at least be like a sixty-point guy. Uh, then we talked about Matt Dumba. Uh, we were all super high on him. He was coming off that great season, and he might be a guy that people have forgotten about because he only played thirty-two games before getting injured. He had twenty-two points in that stretch and he was looking really really good so matt dumba might be a guy that you can get later in a draft this year than you will be able to in future years like brian said about who was it before that ended up not being oh brandon sod but i think this one might be the case because matt dumba i think is the future i mentioned at the time like oh don't forget about jared spurgeon he he's someone that people don't really talk about he ended up with 43 points so not so bad uh yeah what do you guys think about the defense next year there's still ryan Suter there but at this point i feel like matt dumba is clearly the guy you want and i feel like now's a good chance to get him because he's not on people's minds yeah i feel like of those 22 points a bunch of them especially for a defenseman where goals and and he looked really good and then he obviously had that injury and it's a shame but i think sometimes when we approach these drafts i know certain people who maybe aren't as fully invested or or um all in on fantasy they're just kind of sorting by like points from last season and whatnot and and making their picks based on that and so dumbo is going to be suppressed on those lists just because he didn't play as many games and so he'll probably fall down drafts and be a great value for team for people that haven't been paying attention and for people who have to scoop him up so i like that call a lot yeah, definitely. And Brian, by the way, I got to give you some credit. You pumped up Zach Parisi as a good sleeper mm. for going into the season, and he killed it. He had 61 points in 74 games. So you know what? Good for Zach Parisi, but better for you, Brian Kahn, for, for predicting it. Way to go. Well, I, I, you know, even a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while. <laughs> no, you should take all the credit. <laughs> by the way, at this point in the Minnesota chapter, that's when I suggested that we should make a permanent podcast with the three of us, because I thought it was going so well. So I don't know if we still feel that way at this point, but uh, we did at that point, and I'm having a good time so far. Yeah, me too. Okay, it's, it's going okay. If you're yeah. complimenting me the way you did about Parisi, then I'll, I'll be having a great time. Yeah. You know, the, if we did this more often, we'd probably get better at like not talking over each other. Like I feel like we'd really get into our you know zone maybe ten episodes in or something in the uh, Keeping Carlson PDO Cast conglomerate podcast. So we'll talk about that off the air. Uh, let's go to Nashville. Uh, so Fiala. Uh, top line bumping Arvidsson. That was the big talk in our episode. We were talking about, wow, Kevin Fiala in the preseason is playing on the top line. This is going to be huge. He had a five-point game in the preseason. So we were like, I was, at least, I was slobbering all over him. I said 60 points if he could hold that spot easy. Dimitri, you said he's a great player. You actually were saying something about how he needs to slow down. Like he's so fast. He needs to sort of catch up to himself. You agree that he could be like a 60-point guy. Anyway, he stunk 32 points in 64 games in Nashville. Then he went to Minnesota and he stunk there too. Seven points in 19 games. So at this point, we're a year later. Kevin Fiala has another disappointing season under his belt. He's on a new team. Are we still into him or is it time to, to let go? I'm still all in. I like the talent. I like the player. He does still need to slow down. I think he goes 110% on every every play and sometimes skates himself out of position. But like we saw with Nathan McKinnon, I don't necessarily think he's that type of talent, but he had similar issues earlier in his career where he just didn't know how to pick his spots. And hopefully that happens. But I mean, with this Predators team, uh, similar to how we're going to talk about the Canadians on the Eastern Conference version, there's a lot of talent here at 5-on-5. Five five. There's no issues 
but for whatever reason, um, the power play was just so bad, historically bad. And especially in the postseason, just watching them against that Stars team, it was really just eye-opening eye, eye how bad they were. And so I don't know what they have to do from that, if they're going to completely change it up, if they can need to move away from playing two defensemen on there and go with a more uh, kind of progressive four forwards, one defenseman approach. But I think we're going to like all of these guys that they have much more for fantasy. If they can get that power play going at least a little bit, just so it's like respectable to some of these guys like Forsberg and Arvidsson can get some easy points to supplement the great five on five production that they have. Yeah, the power play was a total disaster, and it's a reason to expect uh, at least the guys who are on it to be able to up their point totals a little bit going back, uh, going into next year. Kevin Fiala, by the way, uh, I, Dimitri, I'm with you. I still have hope for him because we never actually saw him on the top line. He saw some time with Ryan Johansson, but the other guy was Ryan Hartman. Yep. Um, so, like, never really got a chance with two quality line mates, and that's the chance we want to see him get. Um, I don't know. Like if we were trying to compare him to Arvidsson and I, I don't know that he compares exactly like Fiala shoots less, um, but created roughly the same expected goals uh, per 60 minutes. So that's a positive. One thing I'm still concerned with, though, like the same way uh, I, I don't I guess we're still talking about Minnesota here, because if I'm talking about Fiala, uh, like a weird fit there. Right. So I'm still happy and, and like interested about Kevin Fiala, but I find it very strange. Uh, that he's playing in Minnesota. It didn't seem like they knew what to do with him once he got there. It doesn't seem like they know what to do with anyone at the moment. So, so that, that would be a strike against him. I I don't know. I hope Minnesota can turn this around. Like they went from being a reasonably smart team. to like a, what the heck team really, really quickly. Can I drop another hot take that Dimitri, you could tell me if it's not actually hot or not. I would take Ryan Donato over Kevin Fiala on Minnesota next year. I uh, I like I like Fiala more as a player, but in terms of fantasy, I could see that. I think um, Donato's like skill set kind of translates to potential fantasy goodness with the shots and the goals. Bah. Okay. Well, at some point, I'll get you and I'll get you to disagree with you. Me need to, you just need to say something truly outlandish. And I'll be like, okay. You know what? I'm not supporting that. Uh, okay. Well, she's just goading you into saying the most ridiculous <laughs> thing possible. Okay. Well, we, I wanted to next talk about the Nashville goalies. If we still have time, yeah, we, yeah, we debated. We debated Rene versus Saros last year. It's just going to be a rerun of that. In the end, like Rene played 56 games. Saros played 31 games. They had similar save percentages in the end. So uh, is it just going to be the same again next year? Now Rene is re-signed. Like at, the, at that time that we were talking about it last year, we were talking about Rene going to be uh, UFA at the end of the year. But now he's signed a two-year extension. So it seems like Rene is their goalie for the next year and Saros is the backup. And is there really anything to say about that? I don't have a hot take here, unfortunately. I'm not going to say like Saros is going to play 70% of the games because uh, yeah. I don't believe that. Well, I mean, listen, I think it's probably going to be a similar split to that but i think if you told me that i'm going to get 30 to 35 games from uc Saros, which seems very plausible moving forward like i think he's good enough and that team is good enough that that's going to be really nice value like i kind of like those kind of backup goalies like that they're not the sexiest names because everyone's looking for the starters on the great teams but you can load up on those guys especially in deeper leagues and just spot start them when they are playing and they're going to give you great performances Right. If you're just looking for minimum starts and UC Saros is getting one start a week, that's great. That's gold, right? You only need two depth goalies if you want to just try and and hope your percentages favor you in the few starts that you do get. So Saros would be a good goalie to get if that is the strategy you're employing. Though, should we be concerned? Like Saros only had a 915 save percentage in his 31 games. So not amazing. Not not terrible, though. So maybe it's not even worth discussing. Like it seems like he and Rene were both 
average. And that's probably all Nashville needs to comfortably find themselves into the playoffs. So I guess we can move on to the San Jose Sharks now. Uh, we were debating, of course, this was like a week after the news came out that Eric Carlson had been traded there. So we're talking about Carlson and Burns. Like, is it good for Burns and Carlson to be playing together? Will they both be able to get 70 plus points? Uh, you know, who's going to get on the power play? In the end, like we were both great. Like uh, we were kind of right. Like Dimitri... Sorry. We were great. We were great. We were great. Were great. <laughs> we're great. I, I meant to say that Carlson and Burns were both great, but so so were we. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Dimitri, you were concerned about Burns if the power play is different because at least for fantasy, you were saying how Burns like takes all those shots. And that's what makes him survival. Maybe now he's not going to be taking shots on the power play. In the end, like whatever, like Burns got 83 points, 82 games. Yep. He had this amazing season. Carlson had a 70 point pace, obviously struggled through some injuries. And now going to next season, probably Carlson won't be there. Though news is coming out that Carlson and San Jose are working on extension. But I feel like I've already seen like so many articles of Lincoln Carlson into different teams. So I feel like I almost don't want to talk about Carlson team landing spot speculation anymore. You're bearing the lead. You guys were giving me a lot of, a lot of, uh, oh, just give me a hard time about all my Timo Meyer love because each yeah. year I'm talking about Timo Meyer, Timo Meyer, Timo Meyer, and it finally happened. The yeah, I was going to get rewarded. to that. The yeah, okay. has been rewarded. Brian, let's stand up and give Dimitri a clap. Yeah, you were talking about Timo Meyer, and then I was saying, is this a rerun? But we agreed with you, right? Like, no, I think yeah, no, all... of course. Yeah, no, the talent is there. I'm, I'm just kidding. Yeah, 66 points in 78 games. Do you see him doing even better than 66 points next season? Or do you think that's like a good spot to have Timo Meyer? I think the sky's the limit for him. I mean, I, I don't know what percentage of breakdown that was um, at 5-on-5 versus overall and on the power play but i know like especially in the playoffs he was so dominant for them at five on five and then on the power play they weren't really playing on much with the top unit and it was more so uh running it through hurdle stick so i assume eventually he's just so, such a good player and such an integral part of that offense that he will make it onto that first unit power play full time and when he does and he's around the net there's going to be more fantasy goodness to come so i think if anything he's going to keep getting better he generates a ton of shots a ton of great looks and scoring chances. And yeah, there's, I could, I could talk about Timo Meyer for the next 45 minutes, really. Earlier this season, we were marveling at Timo Meyer putting up the point pace that he was like a 70 point pace, uh, just about with the power play time he was getting. And Elon, I wish I had my notes on me from it, but we'll go back and get them for the almanac. But uh, there was like a really short and weird list of players who had 10 or fewer power play points and still got to 70 points or even 60 or 65 points. So Timo Meyer joins the club as one of the, the well, the latest guy to do it. Uh, and I'm a total believer in him as well. Elon is, and Dimitri, does this qualify as a hot take? Timo Meyer outscores Tomas Hurdle next season? Um, I don't think it's a hot take at all because... I mean, <laughs> we need the sirens to go in the background for we, it to we, be considered a, a hot take. We do. I mean, I, I feel like Hurdle's shooting percentage was really, really elevated. He doesn't generate shots of the same volume as, as Meyer does. Now, he's such a talented player that if you told me that Hurdle is going to convert at a, at a well above average uh, shooting percentage rate moving forward next year, I'd, I'd believe that as well. But I think just her, uh, something about Meyer's production seems a bit more sustainable. Yeah. Okay, how about if I... I'm going to go all the way. Timo Meyer, leading scorer in San Jose next year. That's a hot take. Ooh, I like that. That's I mean, Burns, maybe Carlson, definitely Couture, Pavelski if he's there again. All of them. I like it. Oh, you know what? I'll give I'll give you that as a hot take. Yes. Okay, well, yeah, I'll give you both, actually. I, I mean, well, <laughs> the first one, I don't know how hot it is, but I'll disagree. Are we talking goals or points for Hurdle versus Meyer? Everything. Points. Okay, for points, I think Hurdle will have more points than Meyer, and I think Burns will have more points than maybe both of them. 
So, mm. but I'm just also just basically copying what happened this year. So yeah. maybe that's not so <laughs> innovative by me, but Brent Burns is so good. By the way, Dimitri, you were like annoyed that I didn't call out and like loud you for your Timo Meyer call, but I was actually being nice and not mentioning how you said you thought Burns was going to get in the sixties for points when he ended up with 83. So I was just yeah. trying to spare you. <laughs> no, that's fair. That's fair. Listen, I, I was kind of skeptical how that was going to work, how they were going to split the time between Carlson and Burns and Burns is such an overwhelming offensive force that he makes it work regardless. Dimitri learns a valuable lesson of, of co-hosting a podcast with Elon. Be right about something. Be reminded about the nine other things you got wrong. Wait, by the way, Brian, you said low 60s for Burns. Uh, Dimitri said high 60s. Nice. Yeah. Nice. nice. I, t- we, I totally blew the whole Burns Carlson thing in San Jose. So wherever Carlson lands next year, uh, everybody has permission to not trust me on what I think happens to that defensive scoring situation. No. Say the opposite. Say you learned your lessons. and now I learned gonna- my lessons. And now I'm going to... You're going to be better. Like we, I'm going to be better. Yeah, we uh, projected uh, for our first time last year, we made our like list of projections for every player. And I guaranteed you by we're going to be better next year than we were last year. I feel like I've learned a lot of lessons about coming up with projections. Okay, St. Louis Blues. Uh, what do we got? We're almost done here. We got like four more teams. Yeah. So uh, we were talking about how Jake Allen was injured. Oh boy, this is going to be... So we were talking about how Allen was injured and then we were debating if maybe Vili Huso or Chad Johnson, who's the better one to draft. And we were... And Dimitri, you were like really into Chad Johnson. You were saying you'll grab him. I later. was, I was, I was. You thought yeah. he'll like steal starts from Jake Allen. And, and uh, in the end... You were right that Jake Allen wasn't great. He only had a 905 save percentage. Uh, Chad Johnson only played 10 games and was absolutely terrible. Well yep. below 900 save percentage. And of course, we didn't mention the name Jordan Bennington. So look what happened. But we did at least get it right that we were calling that Allen wasn't going to be the guy. So people like listening and you know reading between the lines knew what we meant. We were saying like grab the guy who's playing that's not Jake Allen. We just didn't ha- happen to mention the right AHL goalie. Well, and I will say, I think. I don't know where Allen was going in drafts last year, but he was the starter for a Blues team that people thought were, were going to be good and were kind of a trendy preseason pick. So I imagine he was going fairly high in drafts. So if people were listening to us, at least they stayed away from Allen and didn't waste a high draft pick on him. Now, obviously, the Chad Johnson stuff didn't work out. And Bennington, whoever scooped him up off waivers, probably did pretty well towards the end of the season. But yeah, I mean, I, I feel a bit vindicated in our in our Jake Allen hate because I was really, really very down on him. Like it's ridiculous that we covered the second and third goalies on the St. Louis depth chart and still did not get the name that was eventually going to replace Jake Allen. So we saw it was right for the picking. I'm glad we did that. Um, we all we all thought the Blues were going to be good. Elon, uh, sorry, Dimitri. I think you might have been a little higher than most. I'm going to give you props for that now. And I'm wondering, like, w- what was the tip off for you there? Like, was there anything specific? I mean. What more did you see than the rest of us? If I, if I want to really give you full Oracle credit here for the St. Louis, St. Louis Blues about how good they'd be. Well, now to be fair, I don't know how much of it necessarily translated into fan- fantasy success, especially at the start of the year. People probably cut bait on a lot of these guys. I just thought there was a lot of talent there. I liked a lot of the names. I, I you know, I thought guys like Robert Thomas really had a lot to offer. And, and so I just like the combination of guys that they had there. Um, I don't know. I, I still... I, I, I guess that was just it, really. Like, I don't know, but did anyone really kind of blow people away from a fantasy perspective this year on this team? Like, Vladimir Tarasenko eventually got to his 35 ish goals or whatever, but it was kind of a weird path getting there. But other than that, I feel like most of these guys did disappoint. I guess Alex Petrangelo had a good end to the season after Colton Braco kind of took that shutdown defensive role and allowed him to play more of a sheltered offensive uh, type of system. So maybe, I guess, Alex Petrangelo might be an interesting name moving forward, just if he keeps that role. But otherwise, I feel like a lot of this stuff is kind of like what we expected. 
Yeah, I mean, you were just into, like, I, you deserve a lot of credit. You said specifically, I love the Blues for this season. Then when mm-hmm. we did the Eastern Conference, we were talking about, I think it was like Carolina or something. You're like, they're my St. Louis Blues for the East. Mm-hmm. Might not have been Carolina. We'll get to that when we do our yeah, Eastern Conference. Columbus. Columbus. Yeah, yep. so I just feel like, yeah, you get a lot of credit. And I think it was just like, they had a lot of depth going into the year. Like, they had gotten Perron. They'd gotten Bozak, like Pat Maroon. We talked about, I had my, like, smart, I thought, take that, you know, Pat Maroon's played with the previous two Hart Trophy winners. Maybe he'll do it again. <laughs> and I was, like, hinting that maybe Tarasenko really Ryan O'Reilly is like the guy who came closer because he's the one who at least won a one trophy won the Conn Smythe yeah. uh but yeah Pat Maroon didn't do anything but we did call some other things uh you said that Shen wasn't going to repeat his 70 point pace Dimitri and you were right and Brian agreed with you he only ended up with a 61 point pace uh and also I was trying to talk up Vladimir Tarasenko as maybe him having a higher ceiling but you guys were both right that he he's a mid-70s guy but I still think again going into this year like you never know but at this time I'm not so excited about it. now I now I like him more as a 70 point guy I'm, I'm gonna give up on Tarasenko like breaking point per game but Tarasenko it's great because he, he he is what he is like I think and that's not to take it that's a compliment that's not to take away from anything from him. I don't think we're going to get this insane 50 goal season all of a sudden where he has 100 points but he's like the most consistent goal scorer really in this league on uh, this side of Ovechkin where you just know like it's like 30 whatever 32 to 35 goals are just basically money in the bank at this point with him right okay so uh Vancouver Canucks uh, it was a short section for us then because there weren't too many guys to talk about I just wanted to talk about Elias Pettersson the whole time I predicted mm. that he'd win the Calder probably nice. gonna happen right yep gotta be the front yeah, runner sure yep he has uh, to Brian, I called you not fun because you only predicted Pedersen for 50 points and I was predicting him for higher. And Brian, you actually said on the show, I like fun. And then you were like referencing Kawhi Leonard. And look at that, <laughs> Kawhi nailed Leonard. It. You nailed it. So you called Kawhi Leonard being someone we'd be talking about at the end of the season. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's that, that's a feather in my cap. <laughs> but yeah, so Pedersen, 66 points in 71 games. We're all agreeing that that's just the start of something like really special. Like I could see him hitting like 80, 90 points. Like I wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah, the sky's the limit for him and whoever gets to play with him. He is that type of player, kind of like the, you know, Crosby, McDavid, whatever. It's like whoever he plays with, he's going to get them to the puck in such advantageous situations. There's going to be a lot of goals. And I guess from a fantasy perspective, the highest ceiling would be Brock Besser there just in terms of converting those passes into goals. Yeah, for sure. And then you want the third piece on that line, which last year we could not figure out. Like, like there was no... Yeah, Brandon Leipzig. Well, we got so excited about it. There was Leipzig and Josh Levo and Nikolai Goldhoven. And none of these guys could stand in the lineup, let alone on that line. Um, So I I wonder, like, who the random guy, like Sven Berchi seems like a a good candidate, but maybe he plays with Horvat on the second line. I don't know. But that's going to be, like, the big discussion in September is who's playing with Pedersen. And uh, I hope we'll have an actual answer to give you rather than just being able to present with the question by then. Yeah, maybe it'll be an Edmonton situation and it'll just always change. Who knows? Maybe it'll be Milan Lucic because isn't he getting traded for Louis Erickson? <laughs> isn't that the rumor right now? I still can't decide who I think that trade is worse for. Sounds bad for both, but I think someone... it's worse for the Canucks. It's worse for the Canucks because they're getting the worst player and they're taking on more money and they have to protect them in the expansion draft. It just it's a whole mess if they trade for him. Oh, okay. So that should be a no-brainer. Why is this even in the news? Well, he's from Vancouver, so you know, bringing the right. hometown kid home. Who knows? It might give him a fresh start. Or at <laughs> least that's all... what I've been told. We were also very high on Alex Edler, and I think we pretty much nailed him. We said, like, he won't play much, but when he does play, he'll be good. He ended up with a 50-point pace, 34 points in 56 games. So when he played, he was great. He's a UFA now. It'll be interesting to see if he goes back to Vancouver or if Vancouver goes total youth movement with Hughes and, like, you know, decides, like, to just let the power play be run by someone else. But if Alex Edler is back there or if he goes somewhere else, like, we'll have to see then if he's still the top power play guy. But he's still someone you should have on your radar, I think. Just keep in mind that you're going to only have him in your lineup for, like, two-thirds of the season. 
Yeah, and it's tough to envision him going if he does leave Vancouver to a better spot because it felt like on that team they just relied on him so much at five on five and on the power play that like just on a, from a pure kind of opportunities and volume perspective he was like the king of block shots and and, and power play time and so that, that stuff lends itself to fantasy but. If he goes somewhere else, he's probably not going to get that type of role. But for you know, for the Canucks' purposes and and for ours, for fantasy, I think Quinn Hughes getting more power play time and getting a longer and longer leash to play more on that team, I think, leads to great things for everyone around him. So hopefully, we get to see more of that more of that this season. Fun fact uh, on Cap Friendly, he's he's referenced, and I think other websites, Quinton Hughes, yep. and it's Q I N T I N. Learn something new today. Nice. Hmm. Okay, so we'll call him Quinton when we're bringing him up over and over again next season. But yeah, definitely we don't want to project Quinton Hughes until we see what happens with Alex Edler, because that will tell us a lot about what the Canucks plan to do next year. Uh, okay, so let's go to Vegas. Oh, by the way, maybe Edler could, yeah, he would have to have a really good landing spot like Detroit or the Rangers or a team that like needs a top power play defenseman. And then you, but yeah, if right. he goes to like Montreal or whatever, it's like, who knows what's going to happen there. Yep. Uh, okay, Vegas. Uh, <laughs> I said at the start of our Vegas talk that I was tired of talking about William Carlson's high shooting percentage from the previous season. <laughs> we've been talking about that like all summer uh but anyways we were right he didn't keep up that high shooting percentage he didn't score 40 goals again he only had 24 goals it's 56 points he was fine uh we spent a lot of time speculating on who was going to play on the second line with patch and stasny we were sort of debating like haula or alex tuck and dimitri you were really high on alex tuck and actually brian then agreed so we were all you know we all kind of agreed that alex tuck was the guy i was actually the one saying i kind of liked haula to stick there and i don't know maybe i don't have to say i was wrong because haula just got injured so yeah. i get sort of a get out of jail free card but clearly alex Tuck was great, but now we have Mark Stone in the picture. So bad luck for Alex Tuck because he had a great, he was close to a point per game at the start of the season before he got bumped out of the top six. And now for next year, it's going to be tough for him if he's playing on a third line. Like, yeah, they have some good young players. Like it won't be the worst people to play with if, if like, you know, that guy from the KHL comes in, whose yep. name who's now blanking on Nikita Gusev. Gusev. Yeah, yep. Nikita Gusev. Yeah. So like, there could be a really good third line, but like how much production really is there to go around? So I like Alex Tuck, but obviously I like Mark Stone a lot more. Yeah, it's an embarrassment of riches, I think, for the Golden Knights from a real like on-ice perspective. It's great to have that type of third-line scoring with him and Eakin and maybe even Cody Glass uh, gets called up and, and has a big year. But from a fantasy perspective, unless there's an injury and he gets to move up into the top six, I just don't see the number of opportunities from like an ice-time perspective there to warrant a high draft pick. Yeah, that's the that's the big problem with Vegas. And Elon, you mentioned Eric Halla. Like, even when he does come back, the dream is over for him, right? He's got one more year in Vegas, but no top no hope of top six deployment so you you look at who's already in there uh there's no daylight and so i'm not looking to tuck or Hala to really surprise or impress me next year unless there's an injury in which case uh i trust tuck to step in more servicely than Hala. but uh, you know i'm keeping an open mind about eric Hala too yeah, it's going to be really interesting because also Gusev coming in, I feel like really throws a grenade into what we thought was an ingrained top six. Like, I don't think we should just assume that Gusev goes and plays on the third line, right? Like he could bump like a Riley Smith or whoever, you know, and he could play with Marcheseau or maybe they play Pacioretty with Stasny and Gusev. Like, so hopefully we'll get some answers in training camp and probably we'll do a show with Dimitri where I'll talk all about the preseason lines and then they'll last for like two games and it'll turn out to have been completely irrelevant. <laughs> Yeah, there's no way a player, established player from the KHL comes overseas, comes to Vegas, gets promised a high lineup spot, and all of a sudden it doesn't pan out and he winds up leaving after a couple of days. There's no <laughs> way I could see that scenario, Captain. Right. Well, Gusev's no Shipashev, right? There, there's differences. But yeah, <laughs> Brian loves uh, referencing Shipashev every once in a while. I feel like it's going to be like 10 years from now and he's still going to be dropping <laughs> Shipashev tweets and getting us those sweet, sweet likes. <laughs> I, uh, I'm very big on Vadim Shipashev whenever he does get to return to the NHL. <laughs> All 
which, we'll might, which might be never. Yeah. yeah, I don't think it's happening. <laughs> okay, uh, then yeah. we talked about how Shea Theodore hadn't signed a contract yet. And then actually, uh, Dimitri, you were saying how Eric Brandstrom is someone you were interested in. He had four points in four preseason games at the time. Now he's in, now he's in Ottawa. But are you still yeah. high on Eric Brandstrom? And Theodore signed his contract. So that whole conversation was for naught. But Brandstrom is still an interesting young guy. And obviously now he's behind Thomas Shabbat as far as like power play time. And also we don't know how many goals Ottawa are going to produce. But obviously that's a pretty big name that they have on the team. Yeah, I mean, and obviously Ottawa seems pretty high on him considering he was the major piece coming back from Mark Stone at the deadline. And so, uh, you know, we can talk more about that when we do the Ottawa centers and the Eastern part of things. But I like I like Shea Theodore a lot. I mean, the way Gerard Gallant runs those defensive units, no one really plays like your kind of traditional mid-20s types of minutes. So I don't know what his ceiling is, but I, I feel like as the year went on last year, he just became a shot generation machine. And and I really like that from his fantasy value because that's obviously going to lead to points and goals. And so if he keeps that up and he starts getting even incremental uh, improvements in ice time, uh, just from a pure accounting stats perspective, he's like a really intriguing sort of still sleeper defenseman just because he hasn't done it yet, but he could really explode next season. Yeah, and, and you, but you hit on the the big question in Vegas, which is like, is there any defenseman worth investing heavily in? Like l- last year, we just thought, okay, who's the guy going to be? I want that guy. Uh, Shea Theodore was as close to the guy as anybody got uh, with his 37 points in 79 games. You look at the rest, Nate Schmidt, 30 points in 61 games. Uh, Colin Miller, 29 points in 65 games. This is weak blue line production for a team so loaded up front. So it's kind of like unfortunate that no defenseman is going to get in on it. But I'm with you, Dimitri, that if one guy can and will, uh, I still believe it'll be Shea Theodore you're just not drafting even a guaranteed 45 point guy even if you do get the the right player who plays the most uh blue line time on the blue line with the men advantage in Vegas which is kind of a shame I don't know like I'm with Dimitri more than you are Brian because I actually think Shea Theodore is going to be a really nice value pick next year I could see next year being the year where it all clicks maybe Shea Theodore next year will be the Eric Gustafsson from last year you know and like we've he never did anything and all of a sudden now he's gonna get like 60 points I could see it happening but like I really like that shot generation at the end of the year that you brought up Dimitri here's my hot take Shea Theodore has 58 points next season boom it's not hot, actually, because yeah, I agree. That's, that's pretty reasonable. <laughs> that is a very reasonable take. <laughs> okay, so let's end the Western Conference with the Winnipeg Jets. We spent the whole section that last time gushing over Patrick Laine's 19-year-old season. We talked about, like, like you guys were, like, loving how he produced so much in few minutes, and you thought he could sustain, like, this high mid-teens shooting percentage that he had. You're like, you know, most people can't, but, like, Laine's so good, he'll be able to. Then I asked you guys, is it crazy to consider Laine for, like, second overall in a draft after McDavid? And then you guys were like, I don't see why not. And we all know what happened, right? He had a decent start to the year, but ended up with only 30 goals and 50 points, only six goals and 18 points in his final 41 games. What what happened? Did we jinx it? Is was it our fault? I don't know. It's it's a it's a mystery to me. I mean, it, it's it's still funny because like everyone just views it as an abject disaster. Like, oh my god, he cost himself so much money. What a mess! Should the Jets just sell him while they still can? It's like he still scored like thirty goals. Like it wasn't a complete failure. But you're right. Just based on the way it was spread out, there was like what a two week stretch there where he had a million goals against the Blues. Funny enough, and then all of a sudden, the rest of the year there was just nothing there. It completely dried up. And I think as the year went along, they really tried to get him out of his shell. You know, they traded for. Kevin Hayes they moved them up to the top line to play with Wheeler and Shifley and whatever they like they tried all these different options and it just never really worked out for them and I don't know like the shot 
is still there. I think there's no reason to expect that he's all of a sudden like it was just like a one year aberration in his rookie year and 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 that's it now. But I I don't know how high should we be on him? Like he's clearly not in the discussion for second overall anymore. But I don't know. Maybe if the hate goes too far, he could be an interesting sort of like a post hype buy low type of guy. I hope to get him at the right point in my fantasy drafts. I am prepared for it. And I really think there are going to be few people who want to take on that risk. And I can't blame them because like you, Dimitri, like when I think of Patrick Liney, I'm that that gif of the guy who like looks at the camera and then the frame freezes and all those question marks appear around him. Nick Young. Is that is that who it is? Uh, yeah. Is he a basketball player? He was, yeah. He was playing for the Lakers at the time. Yeah, okay. Uh, I didn't know uh, he was famous. Anyway, uh, that's that's. I am Nick Young when it comes to Patrick Line. Like, he did look worse in just about every single way. Not dramatically worse in a way that I don't think he can bounce back from, but it just wasn't working. And I, like, I think back to Gabriel Landeskog, who had this, like, stutter year where we're like, oh my, is is he actually going to be the guy that he showed he could be in his rookie season? And can he recover? And he did, uh, with, of course, help from two elite line mates, which brings us to the fact that Winnipeg has no second line center right now. Uh, their death chart has, well, if Jack Roslovic is still in the picture, maybe he's the best candidate. If he's not, Matthew Perot, Par Lindholm, and Matt Hendricks are uh, the guys under contract in any shape or form. Um, so that concerns me for Patrick Liney because, like you said, Dimitri, goal scoring, I mean, yeah, it was down. He had 44 in his sophomore season, only 30 last season on the same number of shots, um, but only 20 assists. So, like, he needs someone else to play with, and they did go and get Hayes, and then they traded Hayes. Uh, so here's my attempt at a hot take to close out the Western Conference. Matt Duchesne ends up in Winnipeg. I mean... Yeah, that'd be great for Winnipeg. I don't know if Matt Duchesne wants to do that, but it seems like a good spot for him and for the team. Why not? Well, here's the problem. Like, you know, financially, they're a bit up against it. And and we hear all these rumors how they're probably going to trade Jacob Truba. Tyler Myers is going to walk. And then there's always on these rumblings that to make up for that, they're going to trade Nick Ehlers and sell low on him to get a defenseman to fill in. for. I, I don't know what they're going to do. I think this team, just based on how disappointing the season was, is going to look quite a bit different next year. And so I think we're going to have to wait to evaluate them. But hopefully they get someone for Lina to play with because... I just I I I want the world for him. I want him to score fifty plus goals again. I I love the excitement. I love when he's going. And last year was just such a disappointment that I don't want a repeat of that. I mean, it's going to be rare in your life as a fantasy hockey player to be able to grab someone who had forty six goals a couple of years ago as late as you're going to be able to draft Patrick Liney this year. So he's probably worth rolling the dice on at the right time. And you know, this guy like it's not as if he also came out of nowhere in his rookie season. Like he was drafted second overall for a reason. He's had a high pedigree upside forever. Hopefully, he's doing something this summer. I'll bet you the articles are going to be coming out soon about how Patrick Liney has like changed his whole training regimen. He's in the best shape of his life. Like this is why he's going to bounce back. And so we'll have to decide if we want to believe in that or not. He's the Deleted his Fortnite account. <laughs> and with that, that's it for the Western Conference. And that's it for part one of our recap and reassessment of all of our takes of the Western Conference from that show we did with Dimitri back in September. By the way, for anyone who wants to go back and listen to that episode, I probably should have said this at the start of the show. Maybe Brian in the show notes, you could put the link to that if people want to hear that first. It was episode 201 of Keeping Carlson that we did the Western Conference. And it was episode 253 of the PDO cast where we talked about the Eastern Conference. And we're going to record the Eastern Conference later on this week. And that'll get dropped in the PDO cast feed. uh, I don't know, sometime, right, Dimitri? Like uh, whenever we do it, a few days after that. Absolutely, yeah. I'm looking forward to it, guys. And actually, so uh, we right now have keepingcarlson.com slash PDO linked to that 
episode 253 where we discuss the eastern conference so that will remain until dimitri's new episode drops and then i'll change that nice. to forward to the new episode so definitely but anyways you guys should all just be subscribed to the pdo cast because it's a great podcast dimitri comes out with new episodes all the time just like us he doesn't take the summer off he's yeah. coming out with new content he was all over the playoffs and uh, dimitri maybe do you want to tell people how to find the show and also like what you've got planned for the summer yeah of course yeah you guys can find the show pretty much wherever uh you get your podcast whether it's uh apple apple or whether it's spotify or or Stitcher or what have you. Um, the show moved to Yahoo at some point in the, during the season around the trade deadline. And so you can always go to uh, Hot Yahoo Sports as well to check it out there. And yeah, there's a lot of fun plans. I mean, the draft is going to be here uh, in Vancouver this coming weekend. And so we're going to be doing some some mock drafts and, and, and whatnot for that and then covering it. And hopefully there's some trades as well. And then right through July 1st and free agency. And, and then before you know it, it'll be late August, early September. And we're going to be doing fantasy previews and getting ready for the coming season. So yeah, it's going to be a blast. All right. So yeah, everyone should definitely be subscribed. I am. It's a great podcast. Uh, as far as we're going, we also have some plans. So we're going to record with Dimitri the Eastern Conference. So you'll hear that on the PDO cast. And then we are going to be talking with Cam Robinson next week. We we landed the prospect expert Cam Robinson. So we'll be talking to him right after the draft, probably on the Monday night. So we'll probably drop that on Tuesday morning, where we'll talk about everything that happened in the draft and what his takes are on all of these prospects. Who's going to be in the NHL? Who's going to get points? So that's going to be a really fun episode. I love it. Look at that back to backs. Uh, you know, Dimitri and then Cam. Like, oh my goodness! Look, lucky us. Uh, I guess I'll take one quick second to plug something on our side. We have uh, opened up pre-sale for our second annual NHL Audio Almanac. Did I say that right, Brian? Did I get the words all in the right order I think there? Think you nailed it. Yeah, so we're going to be recording basically an audio book where we're going to go through every single NHL team, a lot like this podcast, except it'll be more like 40-minute chapters <laughs> for each team where we'll break down the all the players on that team that we think are going to be fantasy relevant. We'll come up with a projection for them. We'll break down like how we think the team's going to do. So that's going to be a lot of fun, and we're going to record that at the end of August. But you can go get in on our pre-sale with our pre-sale offer over at keepingcarlson.com slash almanac and there's a discount actually if you become a patron of keeping carlson's you could also check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron and you can get in on all of our patron perks for uh any amount of money by the way over the summer ignore the the dollar amounts that are listed on our patreon page just give us whatever you want and we'll give you all of our patron perks because we know during the summer obviously it's not the same as during the fantasy season uh but that's all i got so brian unless you've got something to say i'm ready to uh cue that outro music and why don't you go ahead and read us the credits all right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons. It was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Dauber Prospects, Natural Stat Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, Charting Hockey, Hockey Goalies, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and that's it. <laughs> Okay, Brian, we'll, we won't mention the site that Brian refuses to mention, even though we uh, host the couple on it every year. Okay, great job, Brian. Thanks again so much, Dimitri, for joining us and looking forward to talking to you in a week about the Eastern Conference. Absolutely. Chat with you guys then. Right, bye, Brian. Brian, you want to say your catchphrase? Uh, yeah, thank you, Dimitri, from me, because Elon's been doing all the thinking. I want to be your friend, too. Uh, <laughs> until next time, keep on keeping Carl Sun.